Welcome to another episode of the Saxo Market Call podcast. My name is Soren Otto, and I'm once again joined by Peter Garnery, head of equity strategy here at Saxo. And the reason why I'm joined by you, Peter, is that we're we're going to talk about earnings because now we're over the the biggest week, almost over the biggest week of earnings, at least uh, for this time around. And I think, Peter, we should just jump straight into it. What's your overall vibe for this earnings season? How has it uh, gone so far? Has it been disappointing or has it been a positive surprise for you? I think actually that the earnings season has been quite good. Um, I think we don't, we, I don't think we have got on an aggregate basis any negative uh, surprise coming out of the earnings season. If you look at the, if you look at the earnings growth uh, across both Europe, US, the technology sector more specifically, um, but also if you take the whole MSI world, which uh, encapsulates even a bigger broader exposure than just Europe and the US, what we have seen is actually that the earnings growth rate has has increased from uh, in Q4 from Q3. Um, so I think it's actually quite uh, I think it's quite good. It's not all companies and all industries or sectors, if you will, that have been performing uh, well or booming. But I think on an overall level, I'm pretty satisfied, and I think there, you know, the overall outlook is suggesting. Uh, green shoots in the economy and an outlook that is uh, that is improving. So uh, I'm uh, I'm quite satisfied as a, as an equities guy. I'm happy to hear that, Peter. Especially since it is Friday, so you want to be happy and thrilled for the weekend. I think what we should exactly. jump into uh, to now is 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 the earnings for this week because there have been a lot and and mainly it's been U.S. Tech Week. We've both seen uh, Microsoft, Alphabet, AMD, Apple, Amazon, and Meta. Uh, report. Um, what's what 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 do you think we should highlight from from that bunch of of reports? What's been the the biggest surprise to you? Well, if we if we look at the if we look at the uh, the market reaction, then the biggest surprise this week, uh, which was basically the biggest um, the biggest earnings week uh, the, in the season, uh, has been Meta. Um, Meta came out with results uh, last night, and they just basically blasted uh, all estimates across the uh, across all business lines. Uh, earnings were strong, uh, operating uh, sorry operating income and revenue was strong. Um, they even uh, and you can argue that's a negative, but the market basically interpreted it as positive. But they they're going to pay a dividend now. So another sign that these uh, large uh, U.S. technology companies, they are so flush with cash um, and they're so big now that they know they cannot continue to grow indefinitely at high double-digit growth rates. So they are beginning to uh, send capital back to shareholders, which is, is, is very natural. Um, and, then, uh, and then I think what, what, what was really liked about the meta results um, was that they are issuing a huge buyback program, so $50 billion, um, that's a lot, uh, plus the dividends, um, and then they're holding back on costs. So basically a company here that is is uh, improving its uh, efficiency and profitability, and the shares were up 14%. So that was really, I think, the uh, the highlight of, uh, of the week on the positive side. And if we look at the negative side, then some someone like Apple, I, at least I know I, I have to be honest, I haven't read their their full report, but but at least when the earnings report came out, uh, it uh, the the stock fell a little bit. What what was the story there? Yeah, it was mostly flat. I mean, if we start with with the, the stock that fell the most, it was actually Alphabet or the parent company of Google, and I think that. You, you can argue it was warranted because you know there were very high expectations. They could not deliver uh, on those expectations. But as uh, as I've been pointed out in some of my notes, um, 
to clients. In absolute terms, I think actually uh, Alphabet is showing very good uh, very good vibes. It's just the expectations were high. But yes, uh, Apple was another one where you could sort of say, okay, there's a lot of positives. Um, there were also some negatives, and the market uh, leaned and put more weight on the negative things, but not in large amounts because the share was only down a couple of percent. But you know, it's the second largest company uh, on market value in the world. And then um, if you look at Apple, I mean. So Apple confirmed a couple of things. So first of all, it confirmed that the Chinese uh, market is very weak. How much of that is real weakness among the consumer? There's a degree of that, of course, but then there's also this whole uh, nationalistic uh, rise in China where you know, local brands are preferred over US brands because of you know, you know, the friction between the US and, and China. So that sort of makes sense. Um, then I think that you know, people are a little bit surprised about the outlook for iPhones because Qualcomm, which is one of the largest uh, manufacturers of equipment going into uh, into smartphones, um, they said that they are seeing a turnaround in consumer electronic markets and, and especially in the smartphone market. But uh, Apple, and maybe it's Apple that wants to be a little bit more conservative and not raise expectations too much, but they're guiding a flat iPhone revenue for this quarter, um, which the market was uh, disappointed about. So, um, so that's that's sort of the takeaway on uh, on Apple. And I think, from a consumer point of view, <coughs> sorry, I think both Alphabet and Meta, um, as I've said before, and I've also written that in in, in client notes. The global advertising industry is super interesting to watch because I I see advertising uh, spending as a forward-leading indicator. So when Meta and Google uh, are both performing well, it suggests to me that companies have a positive outlook and they don't, they, you increase your marketing spending if you feel that the demand outlook is, is great and there are opportunities. So I think that from a macro perspective was positive and then Amazon was really again just highlighting that, you know, a uh, lot of positive, uh, part of positive uh, demand in the cloud industry because of the generative AI focus. And then there was a very strong holiday sales, actually, which I think was nice because it really confirms what we have seen in these uh, Red Book retail sales figures, which is this weekly time series that shows you the same store sales uh, in the U.S. Um, on a national level. And that has been indicating that that sales has improved, actually, quite uh, quite good in the U.S. over the past, I would say, uh, four or five months. So um, I think that you know overall the technology sector is stacking up to be uh, approved. It's uh, it's okay, and um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm positive uh, on the technology sector. Just just sort of a quick uh, side note, Peter. Could you just elaborate briefly on? You said that you see advertising as being a forward forward looking indicator. What what do you mean by that? <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, what I mean about that is that if you so when if you have a positive outlook as a company. Unless you have shortage or constraints on your in, uh, employment side, then if you expect demand to be uh, rising or positive, and there are opportunities for you to see as a company, and you but just generally you have confidence in the future, uh, you would be expected to increase your advertising revenue. So when we when we see people advertise more on uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, uh, etc., uh, Google search uh, display ads. 
then I think it's a sign that companies generally have a, a rising confidence in future demand. So that's so that's why I think it's uh, it, it correlates pretty well with uh, with a positive outlook. Um, so that's sort of the that's sort of the the, the details on uh, on advertising revenue and why those companies are important to track. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. Uh, Microsoft also seemed to to have a pretty good uh, pretty good uh, earnings report. Um, is is that driven by the? I know that they're very well advanced in terms of AI and very ambitious on that uh, note. Yeah, so uh, it, you know, generative AI uh, meaningfully added to growth in their cloud business, and I mean, I think that uh, Google has the most interesting and largest uh, R&D research department in the world on uh, generative AI and AI uh, in general, <clears throat> especially the DeepMind, uh, DeepMind uh, you know, research unit. Um, so, but on the on the execution side and the distribution side, I mean, we can just say that you know Microsoft just it has a phenomenal distribution channel built up over four decades in the uh, sales and premise uh, software business model. They have uh, sales representatives and good relationships with all the major corporations in the world. So naturally, a lot of companies are embedded with Microsoft software, the operating system, server software, all these things. A lot of people or a lot of companies are already running a lot of business applications in the Azure cloud uh, business. So. It's very plug and play to go to Microsoft and say, okay, how can we integrate some of these generative AI capabilities that you have built into the Azure business? How can we tap into that? Um, so that is, that is, I think, the reason why Microsoft right now is executing uh, better on the, on the generative AI than, uh, than Google. Not that Google is doing things bad, it's just that Microsoft is just, it just has a very unique position. And I mean, it makes sense, right? That if you're if you're like us, stuck in an office cubicle, unless when we're here in the studio, and you you you're most likely driving some kind of Microsoft software. And obviously, if you also integrate AI into your daily work, it's so much easier if you can just look it up straight in Word or Excel or whatever tool you use instead of having to use it somewhere else. Um, so so it is, uh, I would say, sort of a logical uh, way for for Microsoft to approach it. I think just yeah, exactly. No, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, I just wanted to make the point that you know the the way I see it, and I I actually was I was engaged in a in a you know a little conversation on LinkedIn where this um, this person said that he thought that Apple would actually win uh, on AI because and they had silently uh, bought twenty one uh, AI companies, and you know, we can always debate: uh, is it easy to integrate twenty one companies? I would. They basically beg to differ. I don't think that's it's very easy to integrate 21 companies. Um, but his point was basically just that Apple owns the platforms uh, and the access to consumers, and um, in that case, they would long term be the winner in AI. I think it's uh, it's debatable, but I, I think that you can broaden out the the uh, maybe the argument, <clears throat> or at least the way I see the how the digitalization is is panning out, and that is Microsoft is definitely. Becoming the the uh, the IT or the uh, the infrastructure on the corporate side, uh, basically controlling the corporate side of, of AI and, and software, and then you have Apple, which is controlling the consumer side of uh, of software and potentially also AI, according to this individual that I engage with, um, and and I think that's I mean, those two companies are probably the closest you're getting to two natural, uh, oh sorry, not natural, uh, but you know two. Monopolies in, in uh, you know, respectively, the corporate and the consumer side of things. 
just before we move on from from US tech, I just want to to sort of pound the table for one of your arguments, which I think is very interesting, especially for investors out there that don't really uh, trade every day or follow uh, the news all the time about these markets. It is, it is this idea about expectations versus absolute figures, because a week ago we did we did a podcast which was it wasn't a one hundred one about earnings season, but it was a little bit more explanatory than what we're doing today. Um, so you can go back and listen to that if you want to uh, learn more about your earnings season. But the idea that you talk about here, and we also talked about there, is that really what the success of earnings are measured against is the expectations that analysts have. And for U.S. tech, those expectations have just been massive. So even though you look probably across the board more or less, the absolute figure, so the actual whether you make money on the stuff you do, have probably been good for all of them. But uh, as you say, some of them have disappointed uh, uh, the the analysts, have, and some have uh, positively surprised them. But those numbers, yeah. comparatively, are, are quite different. Exactly, and and I think <clears throat> I think it's an important point to understand as a as a newcomer to the to the equity market that the financial markets and especially on equities um it's a forward-looking machine it's a future machine you the, the market is basically an aggregation of all the viewpoints of a given security into the future so you're getting the aggregate average view of the crowd and what you can actually do is and i, I think this is a, something i've touched upon in other podcasts and maybe we can do uh you know we could do maybe a, another podcast where we talk maybe a little bit more in depth on on this one so I, I really like um, the idea of Michael Mabosin, which has been uh, related, uh, sorry, have been part of Morgan Stanley for many years. I've been writing this book that I have uh, recommended a couple of times, uh, Expectation Investing. And the idea is actually that there, you know, there's a pretty solid framework for how you actually do equity valuations. It's not something we just pull out of thin air. Oh, why, why, why is, why, are, you know, share prices and market values come up? It's not something that is unrelated to, to nothing. It, it relates to the free cash flow of the business. And what you can do is that every single company's price will reflect future expectations. So what you can actually do is you can build a cash flow model and then you can expand it into the future and then you discount these cash flows and we can go into details later on uh, in another podcast how that's done. Um, and then basically you can find out where does the current market price and market value of the company clear with the future. And from that, you can see what are the future expectations and whenever you buy a company, this is a super important point, whether you buy a stock for holding it for the long run or you're buying it just to play on the earnings season, everything is against the expectations. So when you, so what you should always think about is that when you buy a stock from someone, you buying a stock or shares from someone that has a negative view relative to you, unless of course they just needed to raise uh, you know, liquidity from you know, to buy a car or whatever, they just needed to pull money out of the market. But in any case, in aggregate terms, you are buying a stock, and the stock will perform better than the uh, will perform better than the market if the company exceeds its expectations. That's just you know, it's just the simple the simple mechanics of the uh, the equity uh, the equity market, and that's also why, and this is the final point I'll make. This is why if you are if you're a retail investor, it 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 just it's just a really good idea to have a very long uh, time horizon. And why is that the case? Because the longer you stretch out your holding period, the bigger the outcome for the future is, the more unpredictable it becomes. Um, and that's also why if you go back 
people said for many years, oh, Amazon, it's too expensive relative. Look at how high the PE ratio is to the current earnings. And yet the company's share price just continue to go higher and higher and higher and higher. And that's because when you look back over the 25 years of Amazon, it was able to grow steadily the top line by 20, 25% uh, per year. And that was not part of the expectations uh, when you stood as an investor in 2003 and were looking at Amazon, uh, an Amazon business. So the, the uh, expectations part is super key. And that was also what hit Alphabet because in absolute terms, as you said, Amazon did great. Sorry, uh, Alphabet did great, but expectations was just too high. And, at the, and it can be confusing for newcomers, but that's just how, how the market functions. And super, super interesting. I've, I've put a pin in it, and uh, I think we should do something about it because it also ties nicely into to sort of a side argument for why you should diversify, and especially on the long term, etc. But uh, let's leave that for now. Uh, I think that was some very good points, Peter. Let's uh, move back to earnings, and let's go to Europe. Because we've also had some quite interesting earnings here. Uh, one of them being the biggest company in Europe, Novo Nordisk. Um, and I mean, talking about growth stories, they just uh, continue to impress, right? Uh, absolutely. They delivered the highest uh, quarterly revenue growth on record. Um, isn't it amazing that you could be a company that is a little bit more than 100 years old? They, I think they had their 100 year anniversary last year, and they have never grown this fast. <laughs> I mean, it's, normally you grow fast when you're small and then you slow down over time. In, in Novo's case, it has been just ex, uh, exactly the opposite. So um, they really delivered better than expected revenue and operating income. Some has highlighted uh, some nervousness over that Vigovi, which is the uh, which is the drug that is approved, FDA approved for weight loss. Uh, had a flat or actually slightly decline compared to the Q3 figures. Um, but so then you might wonder how, how how does that tie in with record revenue growth? And that's because there was a, a shift in revenue mix. So it they have separate manufacturing processes for uh, producing Ozempic, which is basically Ozempic has the same active ingredient, the GLP-1 ingredient as the uh, the GOI, which is FDA approved for weight loss, whereas the Ocympic drug, which is exactly more or less the same, is approved for uh, for diabetes treatment. Um, and it's just it just takes more time to set up manufacturing process and capacity for the GOI versus Ocympic, uh, where there was some uh, some uh, uh, some room there to to deliver uh, or have the capacity to deliver on the on the demand. So what have we have seen is just a revenue. A revenue uh, shift in the mix because it's not like there has been a, tr- an, a massive increase in people with uh, diabetes. So we can naturally infer that the increase in Zosimbic is because a lot of doctors are prescribing uh, people that want to uh, uh, lose weight uh, to Zosimbic, not because they have diabetes, but because they want to lose, uh, lose weight, and it's basically the same uh, active ingredient. So I, I, I'm, I'm not nervous at all. Um, I know some have highlighted this, um, but um, I think Norway will continue to grow. I think the this is by far the biggest problem the world has ever seen. I don't think there is a bigger problem, and I, I've said it before on this podcast as well. I, I. Th- uh, I said that uh, that the Novo Nordisk would uh, become uh, the largest, most valuable company in Europe. 
I have said before that I think there is a fair chance actually that Novo Nordisk and Eli Lee, which is a competitor, uh, could actually both become some of the largest and most valuable companies in the world. Because at the end of the day, you're solving a bigger problem by treating the world's uh, obesity epidemic and solving that issue than by solving you know, text message communication and, and advertising um, just to uh, poke a little bit fun at the at, at Alphabet mm-hmm. and, and Meta. And I, I'm a little bit harsh there, but it's just that the there is just a, such a huge demand going forward over the next 15 years for Novo and Eli Lilly and some of the others will, that will come. And uh, it will be a, a, such a big market that it will they will come as a surprise to a lot of people. So I'm uh, I'm quite I, I'm quite uh, positive and optimistic on uh, on on Novo. And then just you know uh, it's it's worth reflecting. So is this cha- is is this company uh, expensive or is it not? Um, obviously, I, I I cannot be here on the podcast uh, doing an investment recommendation per se. That's not why we're here. I just say that you know if we reflect a little bit on uh, if you look at the free cash flow um, over the next year, it's sort of estimated to be around a hundred billion uh, Danish kroner. Um, that translate more or less into a free cash flow yield of 3%. That is not very far from where the global equity market is. So it means that Monodisk is, is, is valued at a, um, a premium to the equity market. It's a little bit more expensive than the overall equity market, but not much. And then if you factor in that it's expected to grow the top line by somewhere between 15 and 20% over the next three to four or five years, um, I, I don't think that you, you're looking at stretched equity valuations. And the reason why I'm saying is, is that for those that are listening to the podcast that never have heard about Novo Nordisk or thought about investing in it, if they you know, go to Saxo's trading platform and they type in Novo Nordisk and look up the share price, they will look at a share price that looks like uh, Mount Everest. Very mm-hmm. steep, <laughs> very steep uh, uh, ascent there uh, to, to walk the mountaintop. And a lot of people have hesitations buying into a stock that has hit a, uh, an all-time high, but um, and maybe that's another podcast we can do, son. That it's an interesting behavioral bias that we 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 are stacked against investing in companies that hit an all to an, a new all-time high. But often, uh, hitting a new all-time high is actually a positive indicator on on where this stock is going in the future. So it's not something that you should be too uh, allergic to invest in a company just because the share price hit uh, an all-time high. I like uh, I like that uh, podcast idea. In Europe, we've also had a lot of other companies. We've had uh, Dutch ING. We've had uh, again from Denmark DSV. Uh, we've had Volvo from Sweden. We also just had uh, Danske Bank, the biggest Danish bank, uh, this morning, which also had a, a pretty good uh, earnings report. It looked like. Are there any of those you think we should should highlight, or or do you just want to give like a quick recap of what what's happened? Um, yeah, we can say that the European earnings season has been, what can we say, uh, so-so, right? I mean, the the it's not like European companies. Have, this again, coming back to the expectations. So, if you look at, at an aggregate term, so we have had around 20% of the European companies reporting earnings, and we'll get a lot more next week. Uh, the European companies are uh, always a, a couple of weeks behind the US on on getting those financial consolidated financial statements ready. European companies have surprised in aggregate terms a little bit on the sales side and disappointed slightly on the earnings side. But if we look at the share price uh, movement, it has actually generally been positive for, for across all the sectors. 
which then goes back to the conundrum. So how do you how how can you how do you make this up? Well, I think my interpretation is that that the market was actually more negative on Europe than sell side analysts. So when they hit more or less expectations, you had a positive share price reaction um, because there are so many headlines and so much, many macro economists talking about a recession and Europe is just uh, gloom and doom. Uh, so when the European companies actually delivered against those expectations, it, it translated into um, uh, positive uh, performances. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how many of the European companies we should uh, we should uh, dwell into. Um, I think that ING was in a disappointment. A lot of the banking earnings have actually disappointed uh, against those expectations. Danske Bank this morning actually was uh, was delivering very strong results, as you uh, as you also mentioned. I can actually uh, because we're running some uh, some client notes this morning, so I actually I didn't see the price reaction, but I just looked it up here in the Bloomberg. Yeah, well, it's up five percent. So. Very strong response there, and if we look at some of the companies where there have been the the biggest surprise, it will start with earnings. Sorry, revenue. Uh, we have had Shell this week, very positive surprise on the revenue side of things. Volvo is the second one that surprised the most on uh, on revenue. Uh, we like that because it's a uh, it's um it's a cyclical company. Uh, ASML also surprised on the revenue side. Noble, as we talked about, surprised on the revenue side, and then there have been a some uh, some few banks, uh, Banco Santander, that have surprised, and Swedbank, um, uh, which is a little bit unusual because Sweden has been such a weak uh, economy lately. And if we focus on the earnings, uh, Deutsche Bank is actually the one that surprised has surprised the most actually right now uh, on the on the upside. And Shell is also up there, uh, surprising uh, to the upside. Banco Santander, as we mentioned, so. Um, it's not been all bad. Um, I think it's it's overall okay, but for Europe to continue uh, with positive vibes, uh, we need to see some of the most cyclical economies in Europe turn around in the coming months. So Ger uh, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, Sweden, etc. And a lot of it hinges on China getting its mojo back because there's a lot of a lot of trade relations from Sweden, Netherlands, and Germany into China. So if China can get its mojo back, do a little bit more stimulus, that should have a, a positive impact on European growth in the in, in the quarters to come. I think final company to mention in Europe, maybe just sort of from a random perspective, is uh, Novozymes, which has now completed their merger with uh, Christian Hansen. It's now called Novonesis. So I guess the sort of the reporting structure around that will change slightly uh, going forward. Um, I, thi I think... Peter, we we are talking a lot, and uh, we'd also discuss whether we should uh, touch upon U.S. energy earnings, for instance, because we also had those this week. I think we should, unless you're in much disagreement with me, I think we should just move on, uh, because otherwise we'll stay here all day, um, and then look ahead at what what's left for this earnings season. Because now we've done we're done two pretty hefty weeks, and this one being the biggest, <coughs> what's uh, what's in store for us the next coming weeks? Well, as I said, I mean, we'll have a lot of uh, European earnings coming uh, coming next week, so that's that's going to be the uh, the big one. If we if we take a look at next week, we'll have like McDonald's reporting uh, on uh, on Monday, so that's definitely one to watch. Um, we'll have Caterpillar as well on Monday, a hugely important one for the uh, and tied back into construction and mining activity. We always like that one. We have Palantir also Monday evening after the U.S. market close. 
uh, Barry Marshall One, that is part of the AI cluster, will have Unicredit in Europe, uh, an Italian bank, very important. Will have UBS on uh, on Tuesday. Interesting to watch as they integrate Credit Suisse acquisition and cutting cost. Uh, how much can they improve profitability? I will be watching that one. And Finian Technologies from Germany on Tuesday. Important one to watch because it's the uh, one of the largest uh, manufacturers of semiconductors to the uh, the car industry and with the uh, the, um, the strong growth we're seeing in EVs, there's a strong underlying demand for, uh, for semiconductors. As I've said so many times in notes and on this podcast, Infineon estimates that uh, that EV makers spend around four to five times as many semiconductors uh, in their cars compared to a traditional internal combustion engine car. So, um, so that's a that's pretty one. Uh, that's pretty much a, a, a lot. Um, if we look as well on uh, on Tuesday, we have uh, Spotify, which is uh, one of the more popular stocks with uh, retail investors, also uh, at at Saxo Bank. So um, that's a, a one you can uh, you can track. Um, let's see other. I mean, because there's so many stocks that you can uh, you can choose from. I think I've highlighted some of the initial ones uh, that are that are worth watching in the beginning of the week. Um, I'm just scanning through here. There will be hundreds next week. One that we can mention for Wednesday is Orsted. So Orsted is a Danish-based company, but also one of the uh, larger utility companies here in Europe, very big on offshore wind. That one is going to be uh, quite interesting. I think Equinor, which is uh, the Norwegian oil and gas major, could be quite interesting to watch as well because of the uh, because of the good vibes that we got from Shell this week, so that one I would definitely be tracking as well. We had Ford Motor on uh, on Tuesday. Uh, we should not forget, uh, should not forget that one. Uh, so how they tracking on their uh, EV adoption is something that is worth uh, reflecting on. And then yeah, there's so many companies. Um, I think we should mention as well on, on Wednesday that we have uh, uh, Uber Technologies. Very popular stock among retail investors. We had Vestas reporting on uh, Wednesday. We have Siemens Energy reporting on Wednesday as well, together with Vestas. So those two very large uh, wind turbine producers. Um, yeah. So I think that's a snapshot. Oh, and we have uh, we also have Walt Disney on uh, on Wednesday. You, I mean, I think everyone gets the picture here. There. I think next week is one of the most busiest ones. So it's not the most important one because of the because we had had all the large technology stocks, but there will be hundreds. I think there's probably between 400 and 500 earnings releases next week. So uh, next week, when we talk earnings, uh, so we we need to be ultra sharp on which one we uh, which one we comment on. Yeah, sounds like we're going to be back here uh, next week, definitely. But uh, just just to sum up, so so generally, the, the the this earnings season actually seems to pan out pretty well, even though we're in a in a in a in a macro political situation where there's a lot of uh, geopolitical tensions, we're waiting on when a rate cut's gonna happen, um, and 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 we're kind of uh, in in the middle of figuring out whether are we gonna get a recession or not. Uh, but if we look just at at earnings, I guess relatively positive, isn't that the, the sentiment in the market? Yeah, the sentiment is generally uh, positive. We can also see that you know. Equity futures are, are up today, almost uh, a percent for technology stocks, and that's like 100 and a half a percent for the S&P 500. Europe is also looking quite uh, quite green, um, and I know the market didn't get what it wanted from uh, for, from uh, from Jerome Powell at the uh, at the Fed, their from C rate decision on Wednesday. They they didn't get the strong case for a March uh, rate cut, but 
Um, I don't think two months uh, back and forth on when the rate cut cycle starts should derail your views on equities. I think it's uh, it's a detail. And so uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think sentiment is positive going into the weekend. And I'm just very much uh, looking forward to the coming months, uh, how the uh, how the economy shapes up. Peter, I think we'll leave it at that. That was a little bit more than half an hour. So uh, thank you so much for also sticking for a know that you are a little bit under the weather. So thank you for uh, for battling through it to make all of us uh, smarter about the, the earnings season once again. And uh, I hope you get better soon and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you, Peter. And to all of you out there listening, thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate you. Uh, I hope you like this episode. It's a little bit longer. And if you have any feedback, feel free to obviously come back to us. Uh, unless, uh, oh, sorry, that wasn't what I was trying to say. I just wanted to round off and say my name is Sornato. On behalf of Saxo and the Saxo Market Call podcast, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend and happy trading. <laughs>